Last week, you said something that caught my attention and I love because you're a wine producer, a wine seller, and yet you said, we like to create experiences. What do you mean when you say, we like to create experiences? As a brand, and even like all our team, at every touch point, we want it to be more than just talking to people or them just drinking the wine and that's it. So whether it be our Rent-A-Vine program where you can come and learn to make wine, that's probably our biggest experience. It's 12 months, it's a commitment, five workshops, but people get to come in and experience and learn something new and feel the grapes on the vine. It's very unique. And then in COVID, we had things like cheese and wine packs, but we'd pair them so people could get them delivered to their home. We'd have videos that they can watch while they're eating it. So it's just trying to get a bit more of an interest to the, the customer. So they it goes beyond just opening a bottle. Yes, that is a type of experience, but we want to go beyond that. We want people to know more about the wine. We want to them to learn about wine, but in a very approachable way, in a welcoming way, in a way that they don't feel overwhelmed by the, all the information and they get to connect with the brand in some way that is beyond just the bottle. Well, and by doing it that way, you create not just brand buyers, but brand fans, brand family. Is there anybody who does that rent a vine thing and then says, see ya, we'll never see you again? Or do they become like friends and family who are always stopping by to check on things and see how things are going? And that's the whole the point of it is that sometimes I like to look at the spreadsheet and I go, look, it's, it's okay in terms of return on, on an investment for us in terms of how much money we make, but I see it as a long-term customer journey and their lifetime value. And I don't think that can even be measured. We have seen it. So we had our rent of program for 2020 was the first one, which was a bit of a, it was a bit of a difficult year to do it, but Everyone enjoyed it. We put some of the workshops online because people couldn't get out here. We gave them these really cool cheese packs and we had these online tastings and they, were, they loved it and we've had nothing but positive feedback. And now I'd say 20% of them are now doing the Chardonnay program or referred friends on for us for this year's program. So it's already started and that's one year. Imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years. And to really drive this home... This is not a huge program. You're talking about 50 Pinot Noir reservations or seats or whatever you yes. want to call it and 50 Chardonnay. Yes. So you're just by participating, you're a member of the Austin's elite. elite. There are only a hundred couples or families that would be in your class. Yes. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. That's sexy. I mean, you're not selling wine. You're selling a sense of belonging and coolness and oh, oh, oh. yes it's yeah. a very exclusive club to be part of but it's an approachably welcoming exclusive club i mean yeah it's not inconsequential dollars it's a couple thousand dollars us or whatever it is so it, it, it's not one of those weekend things you might do via airbnb but it's one of those things that you, yeah this is a wedding anniversary gift this is yeah. a you know, you buy it for your your brother and sister-in-law because they made it 25 years and that's worth celebrating. This is, yeah. you know, this is a big darn deal. And the cool thing is, again, you don't have to put on a suit and tie. You put on your most comfortable shoes and you go out there and you do everything 
including actually having pruning shears in your hands and working on your specific vines. Yes. Well, let me tell you, there are a whole lot of people in jobs that are like mine, where you sit in front of a computer all day long that would jump at the chance for something like this, for an experience like this. Yes. So this is where you get to have the lecture from me about the differences between commodity and premium, because wine or grapes are commodities. I mean, yes, certain grapes have a little bit more to them because of the terroir that they're coming from, but they're still commodities. I mean, you source grapes. I see that you source certain varietals from different parts of Australia and things like that, and you buy them at a certain price. Those are commodities. Commodities typically are sold for the lowest possible price. Premium things, brands, services, wines are typically sold for a premium price. And they earn that premium price because they have proven they're worth it. So experiences are a premium product where, you know, your wine in a bottle, it may be not anywhere near as premium in perception. That making sense? Yes, definitely. And you've really probably made my sentence make more sense, which is it goes beyond the bottle. We want it to be... And and sometimes it's sitting back and going, what do we have? What resources do we have? It was our vineyard. It was our staff that are incredibly talented at what they do. It was having a unique property. We're like, what can we do with these resources? Yeah. I love that line. It goes beyond the bottle because that is the first line of supporting copy below it that explains what you mean by that. And I'm I'm just, again, I like to guess based on how people tell their stories and present them. Based on what I'm saying, when you say it goes beyond the bottle, that also applies to the relationship you have with your customers. And, you know, I'm talking retail customers where you're going into restaurants and distributors, things like that. But I'm also talking to the direct-to-consumer customers that you have via website sales, via your activities at the vineyard or the winery. All that stuff. I see you shaking your head or nodding your head in agreement. What do you think about that statement? So I, th- I was pondering about this this morning and I thought, what is it? What is the one? If I had to say one thing that we have done or we have learned to do, it is listening to the customer at every touch point. Yes, we have our brand values. Yes, we have a direction. Yes, we want to do this. And we have a foundation for that. But what we have done is we have always listened to our customer whether it be at events, whether it be at social media, whether it be the store managers, you know, the people on the ground, not just the hierarchy in the in the big accounts that we have. It's those that drink the wine, that sell the wine. And what are they saying? What do they want? And how can we adapt our business to suit that? Can you give me an example of listening to the customer that, you know, a very, very specific one? Yes. So we ha- were doing events and pre-COVID, it was quite a big part of our marketing plan. And we would do a lot of events, but they would always, you wouldn't cover your costs. It wouldn't be interesting. You wouldn't stand out. So I started chatting to people and realized that they wanted something a bit more fun. They wanted something a bit different at these events, but wineries were just sticking to what they know what to do. So I did some research and went, let's make Frosé out of Rosé. So I got some slushy machines, found some recipes, worked with our winemaker got a silver bullet caravan, put our slushy machines in it and took it to events. And it went crazy. 
Oh. We made money. We connected to the customer. We got known for having fun and being fun and doing things differently. And it was, you know, it, it just went well. It sort of died off after, I think, two years, three years. But for that time, it went, it went really well. Yeah, well, and that goes back to being surprising, right? Yes. The frosé. It's literally a, a frozen concoction using rosé wine as your alcohol. Rosé and base. sugar. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. A combination that goes great together, I'm sure. I mean, just, yeah, again, tell my wife, hey, you should go to a frosé thing with all your girlfriends. That'd be a great girls' night. Yeah. So, you know, we've carried it through. We've done a cocktail book every year now, like wine cocktails, and it was looked down on in other people in the industry. Oh, you shouldn't, you know, do that with wine and you shouldn't. But because people loved it, now other brands are doing it. Lots of, you know, yeah. people are being more adventurous and, yeah, it's just, it's, but it was just so simple just going, well, what do you want? How can we deliver that? How can we make your event more exciting? Yeah, and I'm going to turn that right around and say that goes straight to your brand foundation of yes. w w making it welcoming and approachable. Like we'd love to keep six foot six really fun. Yeah. So, and again, six foot six, that doesn't sound like the name of a wine. Yeah, it doesn't. Instead, it's this entire experience that uh, yes. you're going to be able to experience by buying the bottle, but more importantly, getting to know the people who make it. Oh, man, I think this is all really smart, but it comes back to the fact that you appear from the conversation we've had. You have a clear idea of who you are, what you do and how you do it. That doesn't mean you have all the answers. So I love yeah. the fact that you said we asked the people who know us, what can we do better or what what do you want from us? How can we serve you better? Because, again, brands don't have to be perfect or have all the answers. No. But they but they do have to know who they are, what they do and how they do it. Love that. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are now available on Amazon.com. Jay Bear, best-selling author of Talk Triggers, said, The book is outstanding. Highly recommended. A spectacularly useful guide to personal branding that pulls off the difficult trick of being both realistic and inspirational. A must-read, regardless of where you are in your own brand-building journey. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand. And let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Branding is all about simplicity. Simplicity is hard. I mean, mm. think about it. That every musician who's ever learned to play an instrument to master level has had to go through pain and toil and sweat to get to yeah. the point where they don't think about the instrument anymore. Anymore. Yeah, it's so true. And I've made so many mistakes. I mean, I'm not qualified. I just sort of started in the business because I was the youngest person here. So they put me on the Facebook account. And then seven years later, I'm, you know, I'm running the business with Scott and I'm not trained. I'm not qualified. I've just teach myself things and research. And, and I think, yeah, it's, it's just about learning as you go. And if you make mistakes, well, well, just learn from it. As long as you try and work out the basic foundation of what you stand for and then, you know, you might stuff up along the way, but that's okay. You just keep going. Okay. Between you and me, sister, 
Certifications are vastly overrated. For people like me, you know, I've said before on this podcast that everything in my life has been do it yourself, literally DPDIY. Like I play guitar. Why? Because I taught myself poorly. So you don't want to hear me, but that's okay because I learned how to do it myself. And by the way, I've had a successful career in advertising and marketing for close to 30 years. And my degree is in theater. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Seriously, don't tell anybody. Yeah, I mean, they can figure it out. All they have to do is yeah, look at my I resume on LinkedIn. But the whole point is you don't have to know everything. You have to learn. And it has to be based on a foundation of something. So in my case, that foundation is I got to work in the creative area, some creative area, you know. In my case, I have a little bit of a facility for writing. So I became a copywriter. Funny thing is, I'd much rather be a podcaster than a copywriter. And I've never created a a blog that was successful for more than a month because I hate writing blog posts. So you so go figure. Right. But that's okay because part of my brand is to embrace the performer that was always in me from age. I'm going to say probably third grade on which is what maybe you're seven or something like that but whatever i know i was a performer and that's why my style stage my style is performing my stage well in this case is podcasting but it's also live streaming and other venues it looks like austin's wines has a style stage very clearly for both of your brand lines and that is instagram and by association facebook Instagram is owned by Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is the older sister that no, that everyone puts up with and has to invite to the party. But Instagram is the one who everyone can't wait to be dancing to loud music with at that same party. And, and I've got a background in photography. So that's why I love Instagram. Yeah. I was a photographer. I love the visual, which is probably why, you know, it's something that I, I love doing. Or yeah. you know, have it part in. But if you look at classic wine publications, visuals, 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 mm-hmm. visuals, visuals. You mm-hmm. want to tell the story of a fine Chianti? You show those hill towns in Umbria and Tuscany and all that stuff. You know, if you want to create lust in the heart of anybody who loves a fine Bordeaux, guess what you're doing? You're going to the southern areas of France and Burgundy <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff and. Boy, that just pretty, isn't it? Oh, it is. I think you hit on something huge. Wine is pretty. And that's why women have been more attracted to wine in general. Like if you go out to dinner with a couple of couples, it's likely the guys might have a a nice beer or a, a, a darker spirit, like a whiskey, a scotch or something like that. But generally women are going to gravitate toward wine a little bit. And I think you hit on it because wine is pretty, not just in the way it's served, but the experience and what it represents. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I I had never really thought of it that way. So now I'm going to be thinking about that for the next 30 minutes. But in the meantime, I'm really happy to introduce everyone to Belinda Austin of austinswines.com.au in Australia, located, you know, okay, this is uh, because I'm American. And we, I'm pretty good with geography, but Americans aren't terribly great with geography if it doesn't live in the 50 states, you know, and half the people don't know where Alaska is. 
When I look at the continent of Australia, I'll often say to my Australian friends, okay, so picture Australia like a clock. Are you guys like at three o'clock or five o'clock? You guys are kind of at five o'clock. Yes. And that's Melbourne, basically. Yes. And Geelong is a little bit west and south. west. Okay. And what type of weather profile does that area or that part of Australia have? People say Melbourne has five seasons. There's and they are? Four seasons in one day. So ah. it just, it's just, it's a bit all over the place. But look, in summer you'll have, I'm talking in degrees, not Fahrenheit here, 40 degree days. And then the so, next day will be 20. So. Okay. So 40 degrees, typically I do the times two. You're talking 80, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And then 20 would be... 40 to 50 degrees. Yeah, that, that's not unlike that's not unlike Wisconsin in summer. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's what it's like. It gets cold, doesn't snow except except if you're in the mountains. So, you know, it's it's pretty mild temperate and it's it is great for going grapes though, it must have been. Very good. Where you have your vineyards, is that specifically why Pinot Noir is your choice varietal? Yes. Yes, it is. So it's similar to the like the climate in Burgundy. So it's it's pretty, it has, it takes a longer time to ripen because we don't have extreme heat. Where we are is very dry, so it makes the fruit a bit more intense, which is why our Pinot is so well known because it's not as as an ex- explanation as watery or as light. It's more intense fruit here. So, yeah, it's a beautiful climate for growing grapes. And I love the temperature. I don't like it too hot all the time. So, you know, it's it's a beautiful part of the world. Really lucky where, I don't know if you've heard of the Great Ocean Road, but we're sort of at the start of that, which is one of the great drives in the world. So that's, that's about half an hour from here. So it's a nice little destination. Yeah. So it, for Americans, it's mm. not unlike the Willamette Valley of Washington, which is a big Pinot Noir region here in the United States. So Australian wines hit the United States I want to say like maybe 15 years ago and has been growing a little bit more popular over time, but it's, it's, it's never really gotten huge. Do you guys ship into the United States? We did at the moment we don't. And that was just because it is quite a difficult market to make. And it's, and and it's because all the States have different laws and things as well. It's not that easy to export into. So we had, an importer over there that was distributing our wine, but it it hasn't quite worked out. So we're just focusing on on our domestic market at the moment, which is I think that makes quite sense. Fine. Yeah, it makes sense. If you're all about trying to create these experiences, mm. having those experiences where you can actually have more than yeah. just a flavor experience, that makes a lot of sense. What are your goals for Austin's wines? So this year we are, so that's why crowdfunding at the moment for a cellar door, which is what those cellar door wines are. So we are turning in, turning an old shearing shed on our property. So a really historic building into a cellar door where people will come and visit. So we'll be starting to build that in February with an opening date sometime this year. And we're sort of starting to think about what experiences we want at the cellar door and how we want to do it a bit differently. So that's our main goal for Austin's. We feel that that's where the business needs to go, people to come out and visit us and, you know, visit the vineyard, take one of our tasting programs and things. 
So that's that's the main goal for Austin's and six foot six. We're just going to keep trying to grow that brand more. So that is more about trying to get more SKUs or more different wines into our current customers. And then we're also just signed on a distributor for New South Wales, which is what three o'clock in Australia. Right. So right. so that's that's exciting for us too. So it's just about continually growing that, but then focusing on our on our property and and the domestic customers that will come visit us. Well, it makes sense because again, it goes right back to that brand foundation of welcoming and approachable experiences. Yes. Okay, now I'm I'm not going to talk to you, Belinda, because I want to talk to podcast listeners and say, do you see how this branding foundation works for a company? You know, because normally this show tends to revolve around personal branding, the idea of creating a personal brand and stuff like that. Well, I'm going to say that Belinda's creating a very personal brand. How much more personal could it be than it's your family? Its success is your success. And I'm also guessing a lot of the things you use to describe your brand apply like crazy to both you and your husband, Scott. Yes, very much so. We love hanging out with people. We love catching up. We enjoy a wine. We love drinking it. We like learning about it, but we're not connoisseurs. And we just, our home would always be open to people that want to travel out here. Not too many do. You know, we just, and our staff or our family. So we hope, to, we want to live these values ourselves and the business is just an extension of us. Yep, you're exactly <laughs> right. Your business is just an extension of you. And in the case of personal branding, your personal brand is you, the true yes. you, not some fronting, fakey garbage, not no. some, yeah, not some, I've seen this influencer on Instagram and she took the photo like this. So I'm going to take a photo just like that and try to be just like her or him or whatever. It's like, come on, grow up, be yourself. But that's the thing. It's really hard to know who you are so you mm -hmm. can be it. But say it with me, nonfiction branders. That is the foundation of nonfiction branding. You know, I, I got to ask you this question. So Belinda, we got hooked up because Kate Toon is a hoot. Why did you ever get hooked up with Kate Toon of Sydney, Australia, who I like to call the sovereign of SEO and other things? I met, oh, I, I saw her online, but I met her in person at a women's like a business event. And within the first two minutes, I've told her one of my deepest, darkest secrets. Yep. Because she's just that person that you just, you just want to talk to. And we have hit it off ever since. We just had a laugh. And that is Kate. Yeah. Well, but that's the whole thing. You felt comfortable with her within minutes yeah. because that's just Kate. You know, there yeah. is no, there is no, hi, let's swap business cards yeah. at this woman's event. Oh. Ooh, do you have any active leads you might be able to send my way? Perhaps we could share leads to each other. Give me a break. Be a human being. And then. Oh, it just makes me sick. It just oh, really yeah. grates me up the wrong way. When people just trying to be something they're not. They're trying to be like these people that are so-called gurus or whatever they are. It's like, no, just everyone's human. Yeah. Let's, let's just find out what we're good at and be good at it. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And how do we get good at something? We hang out with people who are better than us. And yes. they level us up and we level them up. We bring yes. openly and share what we have to give. 
And they get from that, whether you know it or not, like, what could I say that has any value to anyone? I don't know. Try saying some stuff and let's see if people value it. Because here's the thing. There's a concept that I wrote about in my new book called expertise laryngitis, which is if you've worked at anything for any period of time, you've developed expertise. You may not be the number one recognized expert in the field, but you've developed expertise. So I'm looking at you, Belinda. You've not been working in wine for half a century, no. but you've, you've been working in wine successfully for at least a decade, around a decade. Around that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so guess what? You're an expert to anyone who's in the wine industry for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years. And because of what you're doing, even a 10 year veteran could look at what you're doing and be inspired and learn from you. So why are you hiding your light under the proverbial bushel instead of getting out there and sharing freely of what you know with an open heart and open hands with the expectation of nothing coming back to you? That's when things come back to you. It's when you don't expect. That's when you know you're you're doing personal branding right. So. I'm looking at Belinda Austin of austinswines.com.au in Australia, just outside Melbourne, an hour outside to the west in Geelong, uh, which is just past the kangaroo and the wallaby. Just take a left. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for putting up with this geographically challenged American. But I love hearing from people on the other side of the world. And it's been a real treat. Belinda, how could people connect with you or what's the most effective way for them to understand what you're all about and what Austin's wines are all about? Head to our Instagram at Austin's wines. If you want the family premium story and head to at six FT six wine. If you want a bit of fun. Let me tell you, if I ever run across that six foot six wine brand, I'm going to buy a case of it. Because I guarantee it's going to be a saucy little minx. Uh, it's definitely going to have a bit of attitude. It's going to, oh, I just know it. I just know it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much it. You've got it. You've got it in one. Well, what a treat to talk with you. I hope you'll say hi to your husband, Scott, for me, because one of these days I'm going to come tooling up and go, hi, I'm DP. Can I try some of your wine? <laughs> and you're going to say, of course, because you're so darn charming. Come and stay. Come and oh. visit us. Oh, I would love to. So let's see if I can make that happen for one of my wedding anniversaries because this year it's 25. Well done. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I am your host, DP Knuton. And of course, I'd like you to like, subscribe, refer, and review this podcast wherever you get this podcast for free because that really helps other people find it. And again, thank you for listening. I said it before, but I'll say it again. I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and she is Belinda Austin from Austin's Wines. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>